You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we're continuing our series on spiritual fitness today, our 12-week boot camp for spiritual fitness. And today what I want to have a look at is, is three ways that financial giving will increase your spiritual fitness. And by spiritual fitness, I actually just mean life fitness. Three ways that financial giving will increase your life fitness. Uh, we've been looking at, uh, over these 12 weeks, we've been looking at uh, eight different ways that we can improve our spiritual health to live the Jesus life. Who here kind of is a bit interested in living the Jesus life? Anyone? Yeah, yeah? all right, so I'm preaching to the right crowd, good. Uh, we, we used an analogy, as I said, of this, this 12-week boot camp program of intensive training. And so we've, you know, we've detoxed and we've cleaned out our cupboards and all sorts of things. And if you missed any of those, jump online, cccoolerman.org, and you can catch up on those ones that you've missed. But of course, this is sort of um, any sort of spiritual uh, formation sort of stuff, which is what we're doing. It's, it's kind of like a backdoor approach to, to our spiritual health. And so what we're doing in this, this series is we're looking at things that are in our control to develop or, or grow areas of our life that are not in our control. And just like you can't make your muscles grow by willing them to grow, you need to go and do some exercise. And that then makes your muscles grow, doesn't it? Um, so I wonder, what's on your spiritual wish list? What's on your spiritual wish list? You know, when you go on a, a, a healthy um, lifestyle campaign, you have targets, don't you? You think, you know, I want to get down to a dress size, whatever it might be. I want to lose this many kilos. You know, you have targets, you have goals, don't you? Because they keep you focused. So, so what's, what's on your spiritual wish list? What's on your target? What's on your focus? What are you thinking, Lord, this is what I need to see in my life? Is it more intimacy with Jesus? Is it more faith? more fruit in your ministry, spiritual gifts. I've got bad news for you. Those things are actually out of your control. You, you, you can't do them. You can't grow them, can you? God does them. God grows them. But there are things that you can do that will grow or strengthen you. And, and it creates an atmosphere in your life for, um, to see these things grow. This is all about cultivating good soil, good soil in your life. And the thing about good soil is, is life works better when we get rid of all the weeds, all the doubts, all the, the discouragement, all the sin, doesn't it? Life works better in good soil. And you know what? You might not even have a spiritual wish list. You might just have stuff happening in your life. And, and you don't know what the answer's going to be, but you're thinking maybe the answer is Jesus. 
And, and um, you know, if that's you today, you know, having a, a spiritually uh, healthy and fit life, this is going to overflow into all other areas of your life. And so today we're going to talk about money. Something we funnily don't talk about much, is it? And yet it's something that we use every day. We think about every day, don't we? Hands up here, who has used money today? Yeah, okay. You know, yesterday morning, basically, I'd only just woken up and the first thing I was talking about to my husband was an online website where you could buy things, right? I was. I'd been to see some friends the night before and one of my friends, she's kind of like an accountant for Sunrise and she had this website that she buys everything off and I thought, well, you know what, if, if she's buying off that website, this must be a good website. And I'm like, I'm telling him about it and you know, I hadn't even gotten out of bed in the morning and we'd already made a purchase, you know? Like money, it is such a big part of our lives. We're either spending it, wishing we were spending it or earning it so that we can spend it, aren't we? All right? or wishing you had more of it. So, so, you know, what you do with your money, though, will influence what happens in your heart and your head and your spirit. It's going to influence, you know, everything about your life. So Matthew 6, verse 22 to 23 says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's an encouraging little scripture there, isn't it? Healthy in this context, do you know what it implies? It, it actually, in the original language, implies being generous. So that word healthy is associated with ideas of being generous. And then, of course, the word unhealthy there is associated with the idea of being stingy, not generous. So if you are a generous person, the Bible says, if you're a generous person, your whole body will be full of light. If, on the other hand, you're a stingy person, your whole body will be full of darkness. And the context here is money. You know, this, we, we can't just sort of say, oh, this is about being generous with our, our love and generous with our compassion. I mean, we're supposed to be generous with those things. But that's not the context of this. This is not about being generous with your time. This is, this is not about being generous with nice, heartfelt quotes that you post on Facebook to encourage people. This is about being generous with your money. When you're generous with your money, your whole life will be affected in a good way. Did you ever think about that? When you're generous with your money, your whole life is going to be affected and influenced in a good way. If you're stingy with your money, your life is going to be affected in a negative way. So a healthy life is a generous life. An unhealthy life is not generous. And so I'd like to suggest, you know, uh, maybe if you've got some issues going on for you, some issues and, and you're struggling with some things that are difficult or dark or, or an unhealthy or a problem, I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to take a look at your finances and your generosity. Maybe that's an area you haven't considered. Do you want to be filled with light or darkness? Like it really is your choice. It really is our choice. We, we do get to choose. You want to be spiritually fit? Then be generous with your money. 
So today, three ways financial giving will increase your spiritual fitness or increase your life fitness. Firstly, financial giving focuses you on others. It gives you perspective. Secondly, it focuses you on Jesus. It's a privilege. Thirdly, it focuses you on the kingdom and we find a purpose. So let's start with focusing you on others. What does the Bible say? Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14, 28 to 29, talks about a tithe that was given. So that's money that was given uh, by God's people. And it was to be used for those who are poor or oppressed or in need. And it's really clear when you read the Old Testament, isn't it, that God cares about the welfare of people. And in the Old Testament, there are some really scathing passages where the prophets are pretty clear that God is not happy when social justice is not practiced, when, when people he loves are going hungry because others aren't generous with their money. In the New Testament, we've got passages like Acts 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is what we do as a family. This is what we do. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapters 9, and I won't, I won't read from there, but, but generally in those, those chapters, Paul is taking up a collection from the church at Corinth to help other believers who are in need. And he talks as an example about a church at Macedonia who have, have been really generous in their support of others who have been in need. So back to our verse in Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Where you spend your money, your heart will follow. If you only spend money on yourself, you're going to be focused on yourself. On your own needs, on your own wants, on your own pleasures, on you. And I don't know if you've ever tried only being focused on yourself, but it really doesn't work out very well, does it? But if you spend money on others, what's your heart going to be focused on? Others. Where you spend your money, your heart will follow. Here's another truth. A spiritually fit individual will be more focused on others than themselves. This is the Jesus life in action, isn't it? Self-giving, self-sacrificial love in action. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. The best way you can get thinking about others is by practicing the, the discipline of financial giving because where your money is, there is your heart. There is your thoughts. There are your desires. If you want an indicator of where your heart is really at, because sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to get a bit of self-insight and perspective, isn't it? I was, I was doing a few of those little um, personality anagram quiz things the other day. I'm like, you know, I want to get a bit of a, 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 um, 
a view on, you know, where I'm at, you know, where are my, my, my failings or my faults? I want to understand myself better to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The problem was they, I came out with a, each different quiz I did, I came out with a different number each time. So I'm still none the wiser. But do you know what I really should have been doing? Looking at my bank statement. Looking at my bank statement. Because if you want an indicator of, of who you really are as a person and where your heart really is, take a look at where you spend your money. Bank statements don't lie. It's there in black and white. An honest assessment of where your heart really is. If you want a godly perspective on the world, financial giving will facilitate that. You'll get a new perspective on what's important, on what matters. You'll, you'll actually start to see how much you have. And you might be sitting here saying, I don't have much. And, and, and I know we're all in varying life situations. I, I'm aware of that. But, but it can be easy to think, oh, I don't have anything. I'm lacking. I don't have enough. But I tell you what, when you start to give, you actually start to realise how much you do have. And you start to notice the needs of others. And you start to think like God thinks. And here's the added bonus for you. You ready? Here's the, 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 the extra you know, icing on top, as they say. When you respond to the needs of others, you're going to feel better too. You're going to feel better too. John Townsend, a well-known Christian author and psychologist, he says this, The way God designed our neurology, we begin to feel better when we help. Altruism is God's antidepressant to reinforce good behaviour. You need some antidepressants in your life? Hmm? Start giving to others. Be generous. Put others' needs before your own. They've researched this. You know, they've scanned brains. This is not just something people make up to tell people when they preach sermons. They, they've researched this. They've scanned brains. They've analysed blood and brain chemistry. When you give to help others, you feel good. So your heart's going to feel better. Your head's going to feel better because it's more blessed to Give than to receive. And we all need that perspective. We all need that new perspective. Because our default perspective is me. My problems, my needs, my wants, my worries, my ambitions, my fame. And your spending will both reflect that, but it will also reinforce that if we let it. Doesn't matter how much money you have, how much money you don't have. If you spend too much time looking at yourself, you're just going to get depressed. You need a new perspective. Think about Kent and Ruth Hodge, who visited a couple of weeks ago, uh, ministering in Nigeria. They've invested 30 years of their money, of their time, of their life, of their comfort, of their safety on poor and vulnerable people. Kent and Ruth, I don't know if you got this impression about them, but, but they're smart, aren't they? Like, like, they could be CEOs of a huge corporation in Australia if they'd wanted to. They could be filthy rich, living on the North Shore in Sydney and having holidays in Switzerland every year. But they've chosen differently. And you know what? They're not lacking, aren't they? They're, they're, they're not miserable. They're thriving. If you want a God perspective on life, go home and take a long, hard look at your finances. 
and start investing in, in programs, in people, in organisations that are going to benefit others, that are going to benefit the poor and the vulnerable and the needy and the weak. Because this is, this is heaven treasure, is what this is. This is stuff that's going to last an eternity. You know, you, you buy a new TV, how long is it going to last you? Ten years, maybe, if you're lucky. You invest in, like, Compassion Australia that feeds and educates a family and tells them about Jesus. I mean, that's going to last for eternity. Go home, do an audit of your finances. Figure out what percentage goes where and why. Why does it go there? When you, when you tithe or give into our, our CSE Coolerman accounts, 12.5% of, of everything that you give goes directly into our missions funds. And we, we, we do that and we, we support a, a gypsy church in Serbia, which I, I'm going to visit, by the way, in a couple of weeks' time. We support ministries in Sri Lanka and other, other needs and ministries as, as things arise, for example, like Kent and Ruth. And we do that because we, as CSE Coolerman, we want to be a church that is generous. We want to be an other-centred church, not just a family who want big buildings and fancy programs for ourselves. I mean, they're, they're useful. They have a purpose, don't they? Buildings and programs. And I, I believe that God has one for us. But, but we, we want to be a church that predominantly invests in people. You know, when, before we'd even planted this church, I had this crazy idea crazy idea. I get them a lot, but this one stuck with me. So maybe it's a God crazy, we'll see. But I thought, you know, what if as a church, we could be a church that gave away more than we kept for ourselves? Imagine that. Now at the moment, we're 12.5% and, and um, you know, we could have done 10%. That was what was recommended to me. But I went, you know what, just as an act of faith, I want to bump that up to 12.5%, just as a way of saying, God, I don't know how on earth this little church in Coolerman in a country town where traditionally country town churches struggle with finances, I don't know how on earth we could ever uh, give away more than we keep. But, but just as an act of yes to you, let, let's make it 12.5%. And the interesting thing is, I, you know, I can actually start to see how that could one day be possible. And it excites me. You know, God provides. Where you think it's impossible, you, you take that tiny little seed of faith step. And it, it's really, it's, it's kind of not much, is it? But it's just your heart going, yeah, I, I believe you, God. And, you know, it's amazing how things start to open up. And one day you can see on the horizon that maybe, maybe that is a possibility, that one day we will actually be giving away more than we're keeping. Financial giving increases your spiritual fitness by focusing you on others and giving you a new perspective. Secondly, financial giving increases your spiritual fitness by focusing you on Jesus. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I like that verse. That's kind of like the gospel, a little summed up there. You know, you, you, you can only serve one of two masters, like it's God or it's not God, <laughs> all right? And, and, and being a Christian is all about serving God. 
serving Jesus as your master, as your king, as your saviour, you know? And, and there's, there's nothing better in this world. There's nothing more freeing in this world than saying, yes, Jesus, you are my master. You'll never look back the day you say that. You know, when you regularly give away a proportion of your income, you're making a statement. You're making a statement. You're saying, Jesus, you are my master. You are the one I'm devoted to. You're the one I serve. You're the one I worship. You are more important than my money. You are the Lord of my money. Money is not my Lord. You are my Lord. And that's the statement you're making when you give financially into the kingdom of God. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Honour here, it literally means acknowledging how big and weighty God is. You can acknowledge how big and how weighty God is with your money. Did you ever think about that? I mean, we, we, we love doing it with, with our words as we sing. I mean, how beautiful was worship today? And, and we, we love doing it with, with our, our heart as we pray or as we read the scriptures. But did you know that you can honour how amazing God is with your wallet? You can, you, know, you can use your money for a lot of things. You can use it to buy your own sense of significance you can use your money to honour your children, and that's a temptation parents face, isn't it? Hey? We can use our money to honour our children. We can use our money to honour ourselves. We're not going to be satisfied, are we? We're not going to be satisfied. We are creatures that are made to honour God with everything that we have and all that we are. That's the only thing that's ever really going to satisfy you. You're never really going to be satisfied until you give your all to Jesus and you honour him with everything you have. You know, we function properly when our lives are honouring God. And if your life isn't functioning properly, then I think the solution for you is to honour God, isn't it? You can use your lips to honour and worship God. You can use your hands, your time, your talent. But we can also use our money to honour and worship God. Not only that, but we need to remind ourselves it's actually a privilege. It's actually a privilege to honour God with our money. 2 Corinthians 8. This is, this is a challenging little passage, this one. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 to 4. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 to 4. And if you've got version, by the way, just jump onto our event. All these scriptures are there on our version event. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You see that word privilege there? They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. This church at Macedonia, they're in some, some difficult times. And they're not just giving out a duty. They were urgently pleading for the privilege of giving. Now, 
oh, I'm waiting for the day as pastor when someone runs up to me breathlessly and says, Annette, I beg you, I must give my money to the church in Coolerman. How can I do it? Please, please let me. I'm waiting for the day. It hasn't happened yet. One day, maybe. <laughs> okay. You know, but, but why would someone do that? Why would, why would they urgently plead for the privilege of giving? Because they knew it was good. Because they knew it was right. You know, here, these, these Christians here, there's a combination of, of joy and extreme poverty. We don't often think of those two things going together, do we? Extreme poverty and joy. But, but this joy and extreme poverty, they come together and they result in this really beautiful and quite rare thing called rich generosity. It seems like it was actually their poverty that enabled them to be generous. Wow. Do you know what this says to me? This is tough, but it says this to me. It says, Annette, never say you don't have enough money to be generous. Don't use that excuse. If, if the Macedonian Christians in the first century with no social welfare nets and, and, and no charities were, were willing in their extreme poverty and their extreme trial to give, then I can't use the excuse that I don't have enough. That excuse has been taken away from me. You know, we need a new mindset about tithing and giving. We need a new mindset. We need to see it as a privilege rather than a problem. Now, I won't ask you to put up your hand, but I'm betting there's people here who see it as a problem. I'm betting some of us here today see giving and tithing as a problem. I want you to change your mind. I want you to look at it differently. I want you to see it as a privilege. Imagine if... Uh, Elon Musk. Have you heard of Elon Musk? Hey? He's a technology entrepreneur, an investor, an engineer. He's the CEO of SpaceX. He's the, the, the founder and the, the architect of Tesla, you know, the, the battery cars that drive themselves. Um, he's the one that wants to send people to Mars. He's that one. He's building all these space things. He's uh, co-founder of Neuralink. I don't know what that is. He's the founder of The Boring Company. That one gave me a laugh. That's actually a mining company, by the way, The Boring Company. It's pretty clever, isn't it? Uh, he is uh, the, the chairman of OpenAL, co-founder of PayPal. You've heard of PayPal, haven't you? Okay. Uh, in 2016, he was ranked 21st on the Forbes list of the most world's most powerful people. All right, when, you number, when you're in the 21 list, you're pretty powerful there, aren't you? He has a net worth of $22.8 and that's US. That's a lot of money, just saying. And he's listed by Forbes as the 40th richest person in the world. He's a pretty interesting fella, isn't he? Now, imagine if Elon came to church this afternoon. And he said, Cindy, I want you to invest in my company. You know? Or he said, Hillary, 
Hillary, I want you to invest in my company. I, I, I want you to be part of the internal operations. And, and, and I, I want you to be part of my team and hang out with me and work with me. And, you know, you get to socialise with me. And you're going to be co-owners in my company. And, I mean, your first thought is probably going to be, I don't have enough money for that. I can't invest in Elon's company. I've got no money. And he just says, no, 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 don't worry about that. Don't worry about how much money. It's just, just a proportion of your current income. Just a little bit of it. It doesn't matter that you don't have millions to invest. Just, just invest whatever you have. That's all I need. That's all I want from you. <sighs> what a privilege. I mean, can you imagine? What a privilege. All of a sudden, you're jet-setting around the world with Elon talking about how people are going to get to Mars. I mean, what a privilege. I mean, you know the investment's going to pay off, don't you? <laughs> you know, your money's not going to be wasted. And you get to hang out with Elon and learn from him and be part of his projects and, and do some of the innovative, creative stuff that he does. What would you say? Yes. Because it's a privilege. Jesus says, I, I want you to invest your money in what I'm doing in the world. Doesn't matter if you don't have millions. Doesn't matter if you don't have thousands. Doesn't matter if you don't have hundreds. Whatever you have, that's enough. You know, God has never set a price tag on giving. And that's so that anyone can give. You know, the, the church isn't a, you know, doesn't have a, a, a membership fee like the, the local bowling club has. Here's the fee, pay it or you're out of the club. We need to stop seeing God's request to honour him with our finances as a problem or as a difficult thing because it's a privilege. You know, just as Elon Musk doesn't ask anyone to invest in his company, Jesus doesn't ask just anyone to invest in his kingdom. It's reserved for people who have special status and privilege. And do you know that you have that special status and privilege because you are sons and daughters? You get to invest in the family business and it's a privilege and it's an honour. And by investing in the family business, our faith becomes focused on Jesus. We honour Jesus not just in word but in actions. And what happens for us? We see Jesus as the source of our provision instead of our job being the source of our provision. We see Jesus as our joy instead of the things we buy as being our joy. Jesus is clear. You, you need to choose whether God will be supreme in your life or whether money will be supreme in your life. And, and don't think that it's people with lots of money who only worship money. Don't think that because you don't have much money, you could never be a worshipper of money. You can be obsessed and controlled by money, whatever your bank balance is. And my experience has been at work, and I work with people who struggle with poverty and struggle with finances. So I have some appreciation for how hard it really can be. But my experience has been this. The people with the least money 
often, not always, but often seem to be the ones who are most controlled by it and most obsessed with it. Don't let that happen to you. Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Macedonian church were pleading for the privilege of honouring God with their money because they knew that their money on earth doesn't last. But investing in God's plans and in his people is something that will bear dividends for all of eternity. They knew where they wanted their hearts to be and they put their money there too. So financial giving increases your spiritual fitness by focusing you on Jesus. And it's a privilege to give. Thirdly, financial giving increases your spiritual fitness by focusing you on the kingdom. The, uh, in the Old Testament, the Levites and priests, they didn't work. They didn't farm the land. They were effectively, what we'd say is, you know, in full-time ministry. They, they worked ministering in God's temple, enabling, supporting, facilitating the spiritual and the worship life of the people. And they were provided for through the, the tithe, the, the 10% of people's income that uh, the Israelites gave. Some problems arose though. When the tithe wasn't given, and we, we see this happening in the Old Testament, what do you think the Levites and priests did? What do you think they had to do? Well, they had to leave the temple, didn't they, and go and earn uh, a living in the fields. By not tithing, the people were effectively destroying the temple ministry of what it needed to keep going. By not tithing, the Israelites were hindering the, the temple and the priestly duties. And they're also not acknowledging God's special covenant relationship with them as their provider and as their protector. And what happened is that the relationship between God and his people suffered. And the fruitfulness and the blessing that God had for his people was stifled. And the whole nation, the whole nation was affected. Malachi 3, 8-10. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The whole nation here is under a curse because the Israelites, the, the, the people God has charged with the task of being uh, his representatives of godly rule and reign in the country, they've slacked off and they aren't leading the people in God's ways. They're not doing the things that God said needed to be done. They're not that shining light amongst the nations because they're not that shining light because the temple ministry has, has either stopped or it's been restricted because the people aren't tithing. It costs money to keep the electricity on, doesn't it? And it costs money to keep the altar fires burning. It costs money to provide a living for the priests and the Levites. And the result of not doing that is that the whole nation is under a curse. That's the, the natural consequences of not supporting the ministry work 
the poor and the oppressed, of not celebrating the festivals and the sacrifices that God had put in place for the spiritual health of the, of the Israelites. And the whole nation is under this, this curse. Now here's a thought for you. It's just a thought. Do with it whatever you like. Um, maybe this thought will even rub some of you up the wrong way. We'll see. I might um, be knocking. Yeah, anyway, do with it what you will. We look at our nation and we think our nation will be, you know, will be or is cursed because it, it passes laws on abortion. Our nation will be cursed because of laws on gay marriage. Our nation will be cursed because of, of laws on euthanasia. You know, there'll be judgment because of it. I'm wondering, what if, what if that's not why our nation is cursed? What if the nation is cursed because the church is not tithing properly and hasn't been for decades? Because when we're not tithing, we're, we're not supporting those who lead and administer ministry and worship and teaching and discipline and, and we're not training people and we're not planting churches and we're not building up the church for the work of ministry. When we don't tithe, scripture in schools doesn't happen. Outreach is hindered. You know, 50 years ago, 1966, uh, no, actually, uh, yeah, 1966, 88% of Australians identified as being Christian. 88% of Australians. Now, you're not going to pass laws on abortion and euthanasia when 88% of the country adhere to Christian faith. 1991, only 74% of the nation identified as Christian. Hmm. People are starting to agitate for a bit of change in the 90s, aren't they? In relation to what's right and wrong. 2016, only 52% of Australians identify as being Christian. The numbers are rapidly decreasing. And as we see those numbers decreasing, what do we see happening and changing? Laws about abortion, about euthanasia, about marriage. Laws about religious freedom. Laws about scripture in schools. You know, like the priests and Levites, leaders and pastors and ministers go back to their fields to earn a living. When we're not tithing, church finances go to insurance bills and building maintenances. I've, I've been in a church like that when we were younger. Where we, we, we couldn't afford to pay the pastor or do outreaches because we're paying our insurance. And you know what? Ministry in that town suffered. When we're not tithing, we're not getting the gospel to our nation. And the result... Well, our nation is cursed. Not because they've passed a law on abortion, but because the church has failed to lead the way and influence society effectively and powerfully because our nation, uh, across our nation, church ministry is stifled because we're not tithing. And I, I'm not saying that necessarily about us. I'm saying a church as a whole across this nation. You know, your eyes and your heart, they will follow your money. I need a volunteer. I need one of those teenagers. I need a volunteer. 
Chantelle, do you want to be my volunteer? I'm going to play a little game. Yeah, come and stand out here. Good on you. All right, let's just stand here. All right, I've got a $5 note. I have a battery. I don't think it's even charged. I suspect it's a flat battery, probably. Oh, is it? Oh, well, then that's... There we go, that's more valuable then. There we go, a little paperclip thing. Okay? Now, what we're going to do is I'm going I'm to pass this. I might start with Steph there. And I'll, I'll pass the $5 note to Steph. And I'll pass that to Steve. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to pass that back amongst the congregation. Everyone's going to grab it and try and subtly keep passing it around. And you can watch. You can either watch the money or the clip. It's up to you. I don't care. You try and keep a track of who's got it. And at the end, if you can tell me where one of those things is, either the money or the clip, you get to keep whatever it is that you know where it is. Okay? All right? Okay. You ready? So try and do it a bit subtly. Make it a little bit hard for her. Okay? Go. Watch. Go. Go. Keep it subtle. Okay, stop. All right, Chantel. Do you know where one of them is? You want the clip. Okay. All right. You can have the clip. Can anyone tell me where the money is? Oh, you don't even get the clip. Oh, my goodness. Was anyone keeping a track on the money? Hands up if you know where the money is. And it, unless you're the one holding it, and then that doesn't count. Okay, so you know where it is, but you don't have it? Okay. Well, you can have that money then. Where is it? Okay, there you go. It's pearls. Well done, Pearl. Thank you, Chantel. I'm sorry you missed out on the clip. Good try. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, we've, our, our eyes, our heart follows money, doesn't it? I mean, we, we, we want to know where money is and, and, and that's, that's what we follow. So giving financially to God's work will focus you on the kingdom. It will give you a new purpose in life. Uh, it'll give you a new reason for working, for being part of church, because you're financially invested in what's happening. Uh, human nature says this, you know, we, we don't really don't have a heart in something unless our money is there too. And so putting our money in something trains our heart to follow. A heart that's invested in the kingdom of God will be a heart that grows spiritually fit. And he's calling each one of you to invest in his kingdom. Like Elon Musk, this is your purpose. This is why you get out of bed in the morning, invest in the gospel in Kulaman, in Australia, in the world. Invest in work that brings light into darkness, that builds lives, that creates good and opportunity, that sees families flourish, that sees children educated, women empowered, relationships made whole, people walking in freedom from mental health problems, from addictions, that sees the word of God made known to all men and all women. That's what brings lasting transformation and that's what should shape our life purpose. Do you know what this looks like? 
This looks like sponsoring a compassion child. This looks like supporting Canton Ruth's ministry in Nigeria. This looks like mainly music. This looks like fusion. It looks like volunteering at a nursing home. It looks like visiting people in their homes. It looks like missions projects and partnerships with other nations. And, and it looks like us as a church having a physical and a permanent presence in this town. What do you need to do? Almost done. What do you need to do? I think when we hear the word tithe or we think, you know what, eh, it has to be 10% and 10% I can't do and so I'll do nothing. I think that's what we, we think. It becomes overwhelming and we end up with an I can't afford it mindset. But you think about the widow in the temple giving a few pennies and Jesus valued that far more, far more than the riches given by others because of the heart with which she gave them. It's not about how much money you give, it's about how you give. And I'd say firstly, focus on others. Look for a way to support projects that will benefit others. Compassion, Kent and Ruth, our own missions projects. The, the cards down the back there have the missions account number as well as the general account. You can give in directly into the missions fund. Know also, as I said, 12.5% of your general offerings goes into that missions fund too. Secondly, focus on Jesus. Budget to him first and your other expenses second. Look at your budget. Look at your bills. Look at your finances. And um, instead of spending everything and giving to him out of your leftovers, have a go at allocating some money to Jesus first, then the bills second. Do an audit of your finances and pray. Pray, how much should I give, Lord? You know what? And if it's a dollar a week, that's fantastic. Give a dollar a week. Give it regularly. Give it as an act of faith, as a declaration that your heart is in this. Give it out of a desire to honour him with your money. No one, no one gets concerned if, it's, if you're given hundreds or if you're giving sense no one sits down and and studies the tithes that come in and 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 makes a list of who are the good givers and who aren't you know it's about the heart that you give with and if it's a dollar then it's a dollar praise jesus because you're giving in faith you're giving in belief you're giving in trust thirdly and finally focus on the kingdom your giving enables ministry in the Coleman shire Without your regular financial giving, we wouldn't be able to you know, hire this hall, buy equipment we need for, for worship. We wouldn't be able to uh, provide support for me to equip and lead the church. And uh, so effective ministry needs money. So I just say thank you. Thank you for your generosity that has enabled us to do all that we are currently doing. And there's so much more that I believe God has for us as a church, isn't there? So thank you for your faithfulness in the past and thank you for your continued faithfulness into the future for our work to, to expand and continue in Coolerman, we all need to invest in god's kingdom it's your privilege as sons and daughters and just before i pray what i'd like to encourage you to do you know it's we we, we want to give to a, a vision and a mission we don't just want to give to a to a to a empty black hole somewhere and so I've done up a little online um, presentation that, that talks about our, our vision mission at CSE Coolerman. It's This is a, a good time to revisit it. So get your phones, grab your phones.
This is your ministry response. I'm not going to do an altar call. Your ministry response is to get your phone. That's really kind of modern, isn't it? Get your phone to respond. <laughs> you, okay, so you go to crccoolerman.org slash mission. crccoolerman.org slash mission. And there's a little button there you can press. And that will download a file that you can read at your leisure, okay, with our, our vision mission statement and how you can sow into our work in Kuhlman. All right, let's pray. Father God, um, Lord, we thank you that, that we are your people. Lord, we thank you that you are with us through, through thick and thin, through whatever it is that's happening in our life. We just, we just thank you that you love us, that you share yourself with us, that you notice us, and that you love us, and that you have good things for us. We thank you that together we can be called your people. Lord, our desire is that we honour you with, with everything we are. You are our Lord and King. And may we honour you with our money too. And where that is hard, where that is difficult, where that is something that is, is a struggle or, a, or an area of need for us, Lord, we bring that to you in faith. And we just ask that you have your way in our finances. We ask that you show us a way to honour you with our finances. We ask that you stir in us the faith to be, to be generous in all areas of our life, including our finances. We thank you for your ongoing work in this community. And may we be a people who are, who are generous in all that we do. And may, may our generosity be used for your glory and used to build the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.